In the name of Allah, the gracious, the merciful. Assalamu alaikum. This is The Conviction Project, a podcast where we leave you with no doubts about Islam. My name is Marij Rana. And I am Farhan Iqbal. Muhammadur Rasulullah, 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 Muhammadur Rasulullah. Ya Rabbi salli ala nabiyika daiman Lihaadhi dunya wa basin saani So I am very excited today to uh, introduce a very special guest. Um, you may have heard her on our previous podcast when we had a podcast titled uh, Conversation with Atheists, where we had, uh, we were actually invited on to um, the Doubts Allowed podcast from the UK. And we were talking about, you know, God, atheism, morality. Uh, it was a pretty intense conversation because it was the five of us um, just trying to have one conversation. So uh, we took some thought about, you know, how to do that a bit more effectively. And we said, okay, well, why not just have one-on-one dialogues, one-on-one uh, conversations about more or less the same stuff, but, you know, in a more unique, more personalized way. So I am uh, very honored to be joined by Francis Yanush um, from the Doubts Aloud podcast. Um, Francis, uh, hi. Uh, is it evening time there? So good evening. Uh, it's not quite evening. It's tea time, I suppose. Tea time. Right. Yes, about just after four. I'm drinking ah, a cup okay. of tea. Yeah. So, so I guess good afternoon then. <laughs> yeah. And so, and where? What time is it? What time is it where you are? It, it, it's noon, so it's twelve fifteen. So it's just oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Um, we had our daylight savings time today, so it, it, it's eleven. Technically, technically it's eleven, but it's we're calling it twelve. So it's one of those okay. days. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Francis, uh, I, I guess, you know, I, I didn't really introduce you because I thought, you know, you should just do that yourself. So how would you go about introducing yourself? Okay. Uh, well, I'm a lawyer. My speciality, um, area is criminal law. Um, I studied initially philosophy. So my first degree was in philosophy and then I converted to the bar. Um, and I've been uh, practicing in practicing law in one one form or another for, uh, gosh, over it must be around forty years now. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yes, I've I've been an atheist since I was in my mid-teens. Um, mm-hmm. With the arrival of the internet, I got a bit more active in my atheism and mm-hmm. uh, met up, I suppose, largely through the internet with um, Ed Firstly and then Andrew, mm-hmm. and we started doing our podcast together. Yeah. What, what made you kind of, uh, you know, in your teens kind of turn towards atheism? Was there like a particular event or a particular moment that was like well you know like uh, i really got to start questioning all this and i imagine if you went into philosophy then you went into law like you really care about you know humans or like what humans think about Mm -hmm. um 
I wouldn't say there was any particular seminal event. Mm -hmm. It was more like a gradual dropping away of mm -hmm. the things that I had used to bolster my belief. And the way I would describe it now is that I don't think I ever really believed in God. And I think it was just that in my teens, I came to acknowledge that. I, I stopped yeah. hiding from the fact that I didn't believe. Mm -hmm. And I just turned around and faced it and said, okay, no, it's just, it's just this just doesn't, just doesn't work out. Yeah. Yeah. Did you receive any sort of like drawback from when you kind of just like, I don't know, like became public with that information or was it just, was there a good environment for that? Like, you know, it was kind of like, oh, okay. Yeah. Like Francis doesn't believe that's all right. Yeah, it was fine. I mean, my uh, family were not a particularly religious family, although um, the background is, I mean, it's more, it's more complicated than it is interesting, but my mother was a lapsed Catholic. Then she briefly con uh, went back to the church. I became a Catholic convert at that stage. Mm. And that was, I think, in my, just before my teens and then in my early teens. And then mm -hmm. it just all kind of dried up, really. All the, um, uh, yeah, what I thought I'd seen in it just wasn't there in the end. Right. And uh, it was, yeah, it was no issue with, no issue with my, my mother. She was fine with it. Right, basically. yeah. Uh, which is kind of cool, you know, that, you know, you, you had this kind of acceptance of like, hey, like, it's okay that you believe what you believe. Um, because I imagine for, for, for a lot of people, that is, that is not their experience. Uh, we've definitely had people come on our podcast to talk about, you know, their experiences with that that didn't go so well. Mm. Um, but you, you know, I, I was, I was thinking about what you wrote in your email, you know, you mentioned this word called, uh, like you said, then you said something to the effect that I'm more of a, um, reactive atheist. And I thought that was really interesting. So I was like, um, you know, I was thinking about that and I was like, well, like, I don't, I don't think I know what that means really. Like, so I, I guess I was like, well, let's just talk about that. You know, like, what does it mean to be a reactive atheist? And, um, you know, maybe I can share like kind of what I believe. And I'd be really curious to know what your reactions to that are. If I'm understanding reactive atheism to be the same thing that you understand it to be. Okay. Well, well what I mean by that is that, I don't go around proselytizing for atheism. I don't go around seeking people who believe to try and convince them to disbelieve, except right. in the sense that where people who believe are the ones who are actively putting out the argument, saying, this is a good argument for believing in God, then, mm. my, then I react to that and say, no, I... I you know, it's got these flaws in it. So I, I don't come out, you know, fists flying, looking for somebody to, mm -hmm. um, who's not themselves looking yeah. to have that conversation. So I wait, I suppose what I'd say is I wait for theists to raise the uh -huh. subject. Right. And if they raise the subject, then I'll push back. Right. And, um, and, and rather than me you know, perhaps going up to somebody who's, 
Well, I don't know if you have you heard of Peter Bagassian. Have you have, have you heard not, of him? No, no uh, he he does something called street epistemology, which mm -hmm. is where he will more or less stop people in the street and mm -hmm. ask them about their beliefs and get them to question. I mean, he's perfectly polite. He does it in a very polite way. Right. But I'm not interested in doing that. I, I regard that as a bit. What's the word? Not you know, a bit sort of um, cheeky, really. Uh, right. You know, but um, a bit intrusive. Mm -hmm. That if somebody is just minding their own business, yeah, I, I'm not going to try and ask them what do you believe? Do you believe in God? You know, tell me, uh -huh. give me a reason why you believe in in God. But if right. somebody's out there standing on the soapbox saying, you know, repent or die, um, uh -huh. if if you if you don't believe in God, then you're you're not thinking straight you you're, yeah. you're making some silly errors then that person i i will have a, a conversation with and yeah. my um my take on um the kind of exchange or the way i would approach belief and lack of belief is that if the, you don't have any reasons to believe in god mm -hmm. then using Occam's razor, which I know is not a logical rule, it's, a, it's what they call a heuristic device, but I mean, I think mm -hmm. most of us do use that approach, that the mm -hmm. simplest explanation is always the best. Right. I yeah. would say, you know, if your argument... it's a very human thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You know, then you will naturally fall into atheism through mm. having no, no reason to believe anything different. Right. Yeah. I, I, I guess, you know, in some sense, I would say that I am a, I'm a reactive theist because I, I generally, you know, I agree with you, you know, I generally mind my own business. Um, although, you know, the same cannot be said for, for like my community that I belong to, but I think because of who I am professionally, um, you know, I generally keep to myself. The only time that I would kind of respond or, you know, kind of want to engage is when someone presents an idea as to why they dis why they disbelieve or why god doesn't exist or why you know we don't need religion anymore then mm -hmm. then i'm very interested in that conversation because i feel like there's there's something of value that i might put into or or you know i might learn something about this exchange that might kind of like further my thinking about it. So, so I, I agree with you that I, I'm very much like, I'll mind my own until I, um, you know, until somebody kind of comes up to me or, or kind of talks to me about, you know, what they believe in. And, and if that's kind of contrary to what I believe, then I'm really interested in that exchange. So I guess we're similar in that way that we both kind of approach it from a reaction. Although I think I differ in that I see the value in um, expansion and in kind of like converting um, other people to the same ideology or same idea that you may have. Um, I don't know, do you, do you see value in kind of like a, like a unifyingness of ideas or thoughts or are you thinking that no, like it's probably better that everybody has their own individual ideas, thoughts and beliefs? I do see some value to um the unification of thoughts or uh, perhaps I wouldn't put it like that perhaps more if somebody is making a mistake and uh, I can persuade them that they have right. made a mistake then I I do see value in that but yeah. I'm not 
um, one of these atheists who, on the whole, sees religion as hugely damaging. This isn't um, a moral crusade for me that, oh, religion's such a terrible thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the world would be, uh, you know, just immediately better off without religion. I mean, I do think right. there are aspects of religion that are harmful, but, mm-hmm. you know, if it wasn't for religion, there would still be other harmful beliefs. I mean, people would believe in homeopathy or crystals or, um, you know, or, uh, there, there is no limit to the number of beliefs, of, of mistaken beliefs that people can have. And uh, although I think religion is a mistaken belief, I think, uh-huh. you know, obviously, because I'm an atheist, I'm going to think that everybody who believes that God exists is wrong. Um, I don't know that it's interesting because I always... believe the opposite. <laughs> uh, so you, do you believe that, um, so I take it you believe that everybody should be persuaded to believe what you believe and that it's harmful when they don't. Is that right? So, so, so it, it, it's, to me, it's, it's not as black and white as that. Um, although, you know, from a broad sense, yes. Um, <clears throat> but I think that, you know, it, to me, I, I see it as like the harmful aspects of, you know, religion or harmful aspects of, you know, some of the harmful aspects that you mentioned in society. I think they organically emerge when uh, groups come together. I th- like I have this I have this idea or this thought or belief that, you know, when more than kind of three people come together, um, you will inevitably see um all the dynamics that have kind of laid out in, in human history kind of play out. So say, you know, like, um, I, I'm sure you've read like, you know, Lord of the Flies or um, mm-hmm. th- th- that idea that, you know, in any kind of given society, if there's like just 10 people on an island, um, I think a lot of the dynamics that we are concerned about globally would organically play out religion or non-religion. Well, first I would say that religion organically exists within humans i think that's just a innate byproduct of um groups um because to me religion is you know believing in something that's greater than you i think that like that like that's kind of highlights the entire religious idea for me at least i don't know what do you think about that just for starters um religion i think that there is a tendency in people to believe that there is design and direction in the world. I'm not sure if that's quite the same thing that you're getting at. So people do, um, they do see that in the world. I think that they are imposing on the world, in some cases, something that that isn't there. Um, yeah, but but I think that in itself is a very human quality to to believe in something that's not there. I think that you know, in, in, you know the, the Quran talks about like the idea of the unseen, so believe in the unseen. I think that it's a human quality to believe in the unseen because the unseen doesn't necessarily have to be you know God per se. The unseen can also be something like tomorrow. Tomorrow is pretty unseen, but all of us mm. believe that there is going to be a tomorrow. So we prepare 
as if there will be a tomorrow. So there's, there is that idea that, you know, and then beyond that, you know, to my point of like humans believing in something that's greater than them, you know, the doing things for like the greater good, you know, that idea, um, it, it has its roots in, in, in a belief that there is something greater than yourself. Um, you know, I come from a psychology background. So Carl Jung has this idea that um, anything that, you know, the greatest thing that you can possibly imagine or the greatest thing that you strive for is your God. Um, so, 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 so that's why to mm. me, like the idea of religion, the idea of God is just an innately human experience. Yes. I mean, and do you sort of move from that to say, well, because it's kind of hardwired into us, there must be something there that it reflects. Would you use that as part of your apologetics? No, no, no so I, I, so I, don't, I don't know what apologetics means because I was, oh, actually, if, looking, if, <laughs> I was actually looking at Doubts Aloud's podcast and it introduced uh, myself and Farhan as apologists. And I was like, whoa, like, I don't know what apologist means. <laughs> apologist, it just means defense. It's, oh, um, okay. it, it doesn't it doesn't have any connection with apology as we use it in the normal um you know in our normal english sense of the word okay. it, it's um in this context it's a technical sense and i think the um i forget who it was who wrote apologia pro vita sua i think it was saint augustine but he didn't yeah. mean he was apologizing for his life he meant this is a defense of my life so I thought like, you know, as a joke that, you know, it, it, you're characterizing us as Canadians because, you know, Canadians often like to apologize and they're very polite. And, oh, uh, that's you know, right. Say, yes, yes. <laughs> always say uh, sorry. Canada, Canada the good. <laughs> yeah, Canada the good. <laughs> Canada the good. My, my, um, my brother-in-law was used to call it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So I, I guess going back to, so I, I do move from that a little bit. So, so to me, like, you know, the first thing for me is kind of, I established that, okay, um, ideas of religion, ideas of um, God are something innate in, in kind of humans or like human existence and human civilization. Then I, then I move towards groups. So then I think, okay, well, it is from an evolutionary point of view, it is beneficial for you as an individual and also for the group to unite on a certain premise. So it's be beneficial for the individual that you should be able to have a high level of predictability with another person. Um, you should be able to, with, with, with multiple other people, you should have a high degree of predictability. You should know what to expect from another person um, at, a, at a human level, but also, you know, at an evolutionary level as well, because you shouldn't really feel threatened by them. Now, if you have a, so suppose, you know, you have some ideas about, you know, certain rules, certain principles, certain ideas uh, that I would just call religion, you would want other people around you to also follow that same set of rules or ideas or beliefs, because it benefits you in that, that it makes them, you know, it makes them highly predictable it makes them you know like it makes it safe it doesn't make it such a threatening environment because there is that unity and there is that sense of predictability you know what to expect 
And that becomes very important for group progression. Because if you have a unifying idea or principle, well, now you as a group have a unifying goal um, to work towards. You know, uh, people often, you know, talk about, you know, this is kind of a bit of a tangent, but I guess I'll try to bring it back, is that, you know, how on earth will humans end up like on Mars or something? And everybody kind of comes to, well, we can only end up on Mars once we unite. And I think that the, the greatest thing that we can unite on, or perhaps the only thing that we can unite on, is our ideas or beliefs or, you know, morals, so to speak, uh, principles. If we can unite on all of that, we can accomplish a lot of great things. And I think throughout history, humans accomplished a lot of great things because to some extent they united on some sort of basic principle. Um, because you can unite on, you know, you can unite on um, geographical location, you can unite on, um, you know, your, your sex, you can unite on perhaps age, you can unite on a whole number of variables. But I think that the greatest thing to kind of unite on or the thing that leads to the least amount of error or strife is uniting on ideas uniting on beliefs and and so so then i just translate that to be well you're you're uniting on religion you're essentially believing in the same religion um to some extent but well what i would say about that is that if you're all uniting then you don't have anyone challenging you're you could all be trooping merrily off down the wrong road and there's no one questioning what's going on i think you need a few mavericks in the mix absolutely to challenge to challenge yeah. the unity uh, well i think I, th- I think that the the challenge can also come within too like i think that you can have a so i i make the i make the distinction between um you know between knowledge and between reality i think that you should have a unifying idea of reality you should have a unifying idea of um you know to use like technical terms like you should agree on ontology and epistemology Mm -hmm. um and once you agree on you know the nature of reality and how we kind of come to reality then the thing to differ on is knowledge um you know the, the more practical stuff so if you can unite on you know for example that you know in Islam, there's one creator, there's one God, and there is one kind of thing that's above us that's greater than all other things. To me, and, you know, then you have like certain set of principles that you follow. So, so, so that's like, that's my kind of um, very, without really saying it, I'm saying the Islamic kalama, which is, you know, uh, there is no God but Allah and Muhammad is his messenger. So there is no God but Allah, which kind of is your first unifying principle that the greatest thing that we will ever try to strive for or try to kind of work towards or the thing that's above all other things is Allah or is God. Mm. And Muhammad is his messenger so that, you know, kind of like the everyday day-to-day life, we will try to follow it closely matching to the life of uh, Muhammad. So that's kind I'm, of your your unifying thing. All other things below that, I think you can have opposition for, and you can kind of have disagreements for. I, I mean, that sounds to me as if you're putting it forward as a pragmatic principle. Um, I, I mean, is that fair or unfair? 
that you're saying that this is a useful belief to have. Right. Well, I think that, yeah, it, it is a useful belief to have because I think that, I think it's useful in the sense that it works. Mm. And because, um, so, so, so kind of like the criticism that I, like I would, I would invite is, is someone to challenge, to say like, this doesn't work like there's flaws in or like not believing that this could work um i i think that's kind of what i what i would be like searching for is that you know i really want someone to come talk to me or tell me that hey like what you're thinking i don't think it's gonna work uh because of this this and this reason well, I think it might, I don't know, I think it might work. Um, uh, but things that, things that work are not always necessarily true. I mean, it might work, for instance, right. if you're um, a coach of a football team right. and you persuade them that they're, they've got a good chance of beating another team. Well, it, you know, I don't know, it might, might be that they don't really have a good chance of beating the other team, but it might work in the sense that it might um, embolden them to do their best and therefore they play a better game than, right. than or, they you would know, have. Humans progress and, you know, they can achieve great things. But I do think that any time where humans have succeeded or civilizations have succeeded, they've probably succeeded at, at you know, because of some unifying principle that, you know, helped them kind of push through. Um, but you're saying that there's something greater than that, that, you know, the truth of it or the validity of, of set principles um, is greater than the kind of the pragmatics of it. Uh, yes, I would say that. Uh, um, I would say that um, you can have something that is very useful in mm -hmm. encouraging you to achieve something Mm -hmm. But it doesn't necessarily mean it's true. I mean, I suppose it's a bit like the um, the Dumbo situation. You know, Dumbo he had a feather, and he was he he thought that he could fly because of the feather, but it wasn't really the feather that that enabled him to fly. But it was a useful belief for him to have at the beginning right. of the film. Right. I, I haven't seen Dumbo. You know, my my wife laughs at me saying that I, says that you know I don't have a childhood, and, uh. and to, to some extent, I, I kind of agree with her that that I didn't have that same childhood. But I do know. Uh, but I do know what you're referring to because um, Brett Weinstein or Weinstein, uh, he had this idea that you know if you're stuck in a jungle, and you believe that porcupines quilts porcupines can you know use their quilts and throw it at you um is it better to believe that than to believe elsewise um so i guess you know similar to along the same lines that but then i would say that you know if your survival as a species or as an individual depended on kind of the, the pragmatics or the usefulness of your belief does that not then kind of supersede all other things essentially i think that we're, we're you're saying that truth um is greater than 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 the utility of of an idea or like the pragmatics of it um and then so, so i guess you know th then we kind of create a hierarchy of what's on top of the list of the most important thing I, don't, I think I'm more saying that truth is different from uh -huh. the the um, 
usefulness of a belief. Or not always different, but it's not, the two are not completely synonymous and coterminous. So I I don't know. I mean, I find that a problem with um, approaching things simply from how pragmatically useful they are. Right. Okay. So is there a scenario in which, um, well, I I guess you don't want to see it as better or worse. You want to see it more as it's different. Um, But would you then say that truth is more important than the pragmatics? Mm, I, I think it depends on the on the situation. Um, the I mean, you've you've used the um, it's the um, example from uh, Weinstein. Is that how you say his name? Uh, and it's very similar. It's it's right. very similar to um, the uh, there's there's a principle in evolution mm-hmm. of favoring false positives rather than false negatives because it's more useful for your survival for you to think that that log is um, a crocodile than it is for you to think that that crocodile is a to think that it's a log and and but because you're a bit complacent someday Mm -hmm. think that a crocodile is a log so it's it's much more useful to have that risk averse, oh, you know, it's crocodile. Oh no, yeah. okay, it's it's a log. Um, uh-huh. That that won't do you a lot of harm on the whole. Right. I mean, you know, uh-huh. you can always think of some exceptional circumstances where <laughs> it might do you more harm to think that um, the log was a crocodile. But uh-huh. on the whole, um, right. thinking that logs are crocodiles is not going to do you harm. Uh-huh. falsely and blithely assuming that the crocodile is a log is is uh-huh. not going to work out well. Right. So, so, so I guess then I'm really curious to know what truth means to you. Like, how do you know if something is true? Oh, gosh. <laughs> we could write a book on that, couldn't we? Yeah. What, what <laughs> well, is, I, I'm sure we could is... write many books on all the things that we talk about. Yes. Uh, how do I know if something is true? Mm-hmm. Well, I suppose I look for evidence. And evidence okay. isn't uh, ir- irrefutable. You know, it's not. Um, evidence can mislead you. Mm-hmm. Uh, it won't always lead you to the truth, but I don't know a better way of getting to the truth than by mm-hmm. looking at evidence. And does so 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 th- this is where this is where I kind of I, I kind of react, you know. Um, okay. Because because I I see so th- the way I've kind of like conceptualized it in my head, and feel free to like poke holes um, in this is that. The only thing that you know to be true, when I say you, I don't mean you directly, I mean in the general sense, um, is probably the thing that you can capture with your five senses. Um, I think that that's the only, that's that's as truth as truth gets. I do depend on my five senses. I mean, I suppose there are... um, analytical truths such as two plus two equals four i mean i think i could um i can know them with a good deal of of certainty but other than that 
I mean, I think we have what um, Alvin Plantinger calls properly basic beliefs that uh-huh. other minds, that our senses are generally reliable, that we're not all brains in vats. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, so um, I, I would rely on my uh, senses to provide me with evidence about stuff. With evidence about stuff. So then, so th- so then I then you know this is where kind of my you know other people need to believe in you know something similar to what you believe in comes in because suppose I say that I see something mm. and you say you don't see it. So now, now we're confronted with with the problem mm. because I, we're using the same apparatus. You know, we're using the same kind of thing, but. I'm saying I see it. You're saying you don't see it. And, and so now, now, now that's the problem of of, of, of kind of like relying on relying like truth, basically, is that it, it becomes, you know, or is all truth kind of subjective or, you know, is there such thing as objective truth or is the only objective truth the, the analytical truth such as two plus two equals four? I don't think that truth is subjective um, and I don't think it's limited to analytical truth. I think um, if you see something and I don't, Mm -hmm. then, well, there could be so, there could be various explanations. One is Mm -hmm. perhaps I, you know, my eyesight isn't that good. Mm -hmm. Um, Perhaps I'm not looking in the right direction. Perhaps we're not actually looking in the same direction. Uh, but ultimately, if we if we can weed out all those possible explanations, then only Let's one say of all us things held equal. Okay, then only yeah. one of us can be right. Right. And so, so, so... Uh, I don't know. I don't know which. Uh, I mean, I suppose I can think of various ways to go about establishing that. So we could go up to whatever it is you see, and uh-huh. so that we can both touch it. Right. Um, uh, or and um, that might be a way. That might be a way forward, but right. I don't see that it's necessarily helpful for yeah. both of us to act on the basis that what you see is there, unless it is actually there. I mean, there there might be there might be some use in mm. uh, having a false belief that something is there, right. but most of the time, I think truth true beliefs are more useful than false beliefs right i i I agree with that as well like i think that i think what 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 i was what i'm trying to establish or in in our conversation is that to me you know your 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 five senses are kind of the closest thing that you can get to truth um so, but then the the problem then becomes of navigating um, what you do when two people disagree on what they see. So 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 then then you know that's when I think that the the pragmatics matter that much more um, because suppose you know you say well you see this and I say well I don't see it but I, I'm going to take your word for it because you know, I see some utility in that. And I think that that's how knowledge and belief kind of emerges is that we, we might not, we like relying on our truths might not be the only way that, you know, 
realizing that you know other people may see things that you might not see um and that there could be some usefulness to that probably trumps all other things i don't know Mm. well what how would you go around about navigating if i say i see something and you don't see it i mean how would you respond to that well, well that's the thing that you know if you say you see something and you know i say well you know can i see it too or you know what's what's the usefulness of you being able to see that what can you what can you seeing that allow us to do um because i think this happens quite a bit perhaps not with physical things that we see but it happens quite a bit with with ideas you know, you know, for example, mm. if, if you think about like, like I'm going to use Elon Musk, for example, Elon Musk has, has a vision, you know, so, so in some sense, he sees something, you know, I don't see what Elon Musk sees, but I see that, you know, some of the things that Elon Musk is doing, you know, I say, okay, well, I want to go and see whatever you're, I, I want to believe whatever you're seeing, because I believe in what you're I believe in your visions. I, I believe in the, I guess we go back to pragmatics then. I believe in the pragmatics of, or the utility of what you see. So I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to follow you. And I think that that's how, that's how things emerge in society is that we don't necessarily have to find the truth in order to act on it. I think that other things happen before, before we begin to act on things. Hmm. Um, I think in your assessment of believing in Elon Musk's vision, would mm-hmm. you take into account other things that you know about him? Definitely. I think, I think that, 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 that matters quite a bit. And I think that that's why, like, um, even within Islamic thought, there's, you know, um, people emerge, I was about to say characters emerge, but, you know, people emerge, you know, you know, who, who are known as prophets, that they have, they have certain visions or certain ideas, which kind of become like, well, you know, this is important for me, for like, this makes sense. Like, I want to go ahead Mm. and follow this. And a lot of the things like you do have to kind of keep into mind, you know, their track record before, you know, like all the, you have to keep it holistically because that's what constitutes someone being a prophet as compared to someone being a visionary. Mm. Yeah, you see, um, that I guess would be a, a, a similar approach, perhaps not in terms of, of profits, but mm-hmm. that's how I might sign up to someone saying oh you know this is the way forward that i know something about them and so i've got evidence i've seen evidence Mm -hmm. of how their intellectual take on the world or or, Mm -hmm. you know i suppose it doesn't have to be intellectual but their um their way of approaching problems has been Mm -hmm. successful in the past so i can rely on them right So, so so then then i go to well how do you then measure the success? Uh, well, it would depend the sort of idea we're talking about. I mean, for instance, at work, uh-huh. you might I might know someone who is 
very good at coming up with ideas as to how we network with people and I know that because in the past they've uh, set up groups with other stakeholders mm -hmm. and the the meetings have been successful and mm -hmm. ideas have come out of them that we've been able to put in practice and it's built our um our relationship with with stakeholders so i'm gonna say oh that person you know yes they did that really good um they arranged that that conference and they they organized it and it worked really well and you know i think we got all the right people there and we got some good ideas out of it and we've been able to use those ideas um in in uh, our business plan and so therefore they're coming up with this idea and i'm going to trust them that uh, that even though this is not something that i'm very good at mm -hmm. they i i've seen that they are good at it so i mm -hmm. will uh, follow what what they suggest right but, but do you think that then you're still utilizing some sort of metric to measure the success and really if you get that outcome you know, then the things in between don't matter as much. Um, what what sort of things in between are you thinking of? Th like the truth of it. Oh, I see. Right. Um, well, I don't... If you... I don't know that it's something that has a truth value. So if somebody says the way... For if, say we've got an organizational goal mm -hmm. to build our relationships with a mm -hmm. particularly with a particular community mm -hmm. um and the person i know at work says what we should do is have a conference where we will invite um leaders of this community to come along and we'll have some workshops, we'll, we'll set up some workshops and some breakout groups, and we'll mm -hmm. bring in some outside speakers, and that will be a good way of building bridges with that community. I mean, I'm not mm -hmm. doing fantastically good um, examples here, because as I say, it's not something no, I'm very good, good yeah. at. So I'm trying to imagine somebody <laughs> doing something that I'm not very good at, that uh -huh. I would just say, um, yes, okay, well, we, you know, you're the person who's good at this, so I'll go along with it. So, I mean, I, I think the the thing that has the truth value is mm -hmm. this will assist us in our business objective. Mm -hmm. And right. by what they do, in the yeah. past, they've been correct. Right. It did assist us with our business objective. And so right. on this occasion, I'm going to say, yes, it will, you know, I have every reason to think it will assist us with our business objective again. Perhaps mm -hmm. a simpler um yeah. Uh, example I could have used uh -huh. uh, if I thought about it. Um, <laughs> I suppose it's a pilot, a pilot flying a plane. I mean, I just don't understand anything about pilots flying planes. Yeah. I mean, why the, why the wretched things don't just crash out of the sky and obey gravity is is a mystery to me. But likewise, I will I will trust the uh -huh. pilot because right. I know that you know they. Well, I don't know the pilot per personally, but I I just know a background. I've got this background knowledge that pilots do fly planes and they have all this training and they know what they're doing and pl planes do fly. Don't understand uh -huh. how, but they do yeah. fly and they, they 
on the whole, they land where they're intended to land. Mm -hmm. So I'll say, you know, that's the, the thing that I'm interested in the truth of. Mm -hmm. Is it, you know, will I be safe in this plane? Mm -hmm. And although I don't know any of the stuff around it, mm -hmm. I will put my my faith, if you like, to use that mm -hmm. slightly perhaps contentious word. <laughs> we we could say trust palette. too, yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, so that, that like, not to kind of like really keep digging at this idea, uh, because I realize eventually we'll reach a point where, you know, we'll just get exhausted from all the digging. Um, so, so I guess, I guess, you know, would it be okay to kind of switch gears or do, or do you think that, you know, we've exhausted this idea quite a bit? I think we've gone into it in in some in some detail. I, I mean, I'm, yeah. I suppose to be honest, I'm not quite seeing how it links. I'm not exactly seeing how how it links with with your um, religious belief. I, right. uh, but you know, I mean, I, I could take a guess, but I'd rather that you told me. Yeah, because I might yeah. misrepresent so, so, you. So, so again, you know, to me, the the idea becomes that it's important that there is some sort of unifying idea so that that's kind of my 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 kind of main main lead because mm. i think you know within islam as well there there is this idea that a good first principle is that there is a creator or there is um you know there is something that is greater than just you so to me like that's a very like ego diffusing idea to believe in something that is greater than me so then the idea, you know, becomes, well, it's also important that other people also believe this because, well, if we all kind of unite on this idea, then the things that we can accomplish together are really great. So then that becomes kind of my understanding of why it's important that, you know, people convert to to Islam and Ahmadiyya or people kind of um, align themselves with certain Islamic ideas um, because you know I, I can also appreciate that it's very difficult to because Islam in itself means to submit um, you know and, and, and a Muslim is defined as one who submits so that submission process can seem very frightening and very uh, scary to a lot of people um, but I, but I do think that it is important that we do unite on our ideas and our beliefs, um, particularly our ideas and beliefs of, you know, there being, being a higher power. I think that's very important. Um, and then, then, I, then I go into kind of like the, the smaller details of it, um, which is, you know, how... So, so yeah, so, so sorry, I'll, I'll just leave it to that. But that's kind of my mm -hmm. idea of, of religion and, you know, kind of why I'm, why, why I believe what I believe is because of those two things seem to be the overarching um, principles that ground me in my beliefs. Okay, well, what I'd say about that is that um, although I accept that what you say can be true, Mm -hmm. that people can achieve things by having a unifying idea. Yeah. Um, so there are instances in history and even in the world today where people having a unifying idea has not been a good thing. Mm -hmm. For instance, there was a unifying idea um, throughout Catholic Europe 
uh, mm -hmm. during the Reformation. Well, there were two. There, there were there were sort of two unifying ideas, if, if you see what I mean. But they, mm -hmm. where they existed, people were very strongly unified around them, and mm -hmm. that led to great cruelty and bloodshed. Mm -hmm. And then in the Soviet Union, there was a unifying idea, which did actually enable them to achieve some things. I mean, you can look at the Soviet Union and or, and see how they achieved some things, or or um, communist China. They did achieve some things but um, at, at a huge cost. And it was yeah. not all about good achievements. Uh -huh. there, I think there would have been a lot to be said mm -hmm. to allow people with different ideas to come mm -hmm. in and challenge the unifying idea. So I guess this is why I kind of, I guess as I'm talking to you, I'm realizing that my approach to kind of talking about this is kind of stripping away the the so some of the things and just kind of looking at it in its kind of bare bones um skeletal ideas because so if we go back to the idea that you know unifying ideas i think then the the issue for a unified group then becomes how do we handle disagreements how do we handle people that are trying to mess with the unity of our group? Because I think any group that is unified strongly believes in their unity. They strongly believe in, so like from our conversation, the, the, the usefulness um, that, you know, can happen if they say united um, or the usefulness of their mission. Because I think that and I didn't say this earlier, but I think that the objective of any group um, is to survive. Um, and I think that survival then kind of becomes the thing of most importance. So then I go to, well, if survival is the most important thing, then, and you need to kind of stay united, then what are the steps to take to ensure that you survive or your group survives? And I think that as difficult as it is for me to kind of admit this, but I think that violence emerges out of that because there's no kind of other way to keep discipline, to keep order without a, without a degree of violence. Now, of course, you know, it doesn't have to be horrific violence. Like I'm, I'm not, you know, in any way um, endorsing, you know, massive labor camps or concentration camps in any way. But I do think, though, that we would miss something if we believe that having unified groups and not having an element of violence in those groups, I don't think is realistic. Hmm. I don't think that having any uh, group unified of humans, unified or otherwise, is it would be realistic to expect it to continue without some form of violence. Of um, I'm, I suppose I'm, I, I am, to be honest, slightly troubled by what appears to me to be you saying that we will use violence to suppress ideas, to suppress contrary ideas. Am I, have I, I mean, that was how it came across to me, but um, tell me if I'm wrong. No, no. So, so not not suppress useful ideas. Um, I guess you know you would need a degree of violence. I think you know just my knowledge of 
human history and just my knowledge of humans to enforce some sort of order or oh, some absolutely. sort of right some, some, some yeah. sort of order now, now order now we can kind of talk about you know what order looks like and you mm. know what that means and things like that but i don't think that i i wouldn't agree at all if it was as simple as you know like criticizing the you know criticizing you know the the group in charge or kind of like the idea and then that leads to your death like that that would be that that would be a a punishment that's like too severe but i do think that there we we do probably like if we're forming a society we would need to talk about when it is appropriate to use violence so we can't kind of run away from violence is what i'm trying to say well i think um I mean, obviously, it depends how you um, define violence, but mm. I think you need some form of coercion to uh, limit behaviour. Of course. Um, and I'm thinking of extreme cases of like, um, you know, um, coups or like, you know, trying to like overthrow another idea, because I do think that anytime you have two groups that strongly believe in you know, two unified groups that strongly believe in their mission, they will in some way, shape or form, try to get rid of the other group. And that's where kind of violence gets introduced. Right. Because every group that's, wants to survive. That's, that's interesting. Do they always try to get rid of the other group? I, I don't know. Do you not think there can be a peaceful coexistence? Um, between groups with different unifying ideas i think like like i want to so badly i want to believe that but i don't think it's existed quite in the same way like i think that any time that it has existed it's existed in some degree of you know one group being subordinate or kind of submitting in some way to the group in charge. I think that if, if, you know, like, for example, you know, I live in Canada, right? Now, if I go out and I try to create a parallel government to Canada, um, you know, I gather people, I occupy a certain degree of land, th then essentially I'm a threat to Canada. So then, so then Canada can't really coexist with me in the same way because of you know because of the threat so so eventually you know we would have to come to some sort of conflict because of you know the level of or perception of threat so i do think that yes of course people can stay together i mean canada neighbors the united states and you know we, we kind of coexist but i do think that there is a price that we pay to coexist together. And I think that anytime we don't honor that price or we don't kind of negotiate the terms of our joint survival, that will lead to conflict. Mm. So there has to be that negotiation that takes place anytime you want two groups to coexist. There has to, well, there has to be give and take. Yes, there has to be some yeah, compromise. That's, yeah, negotiation, right. Yeah. Any time those those things of negotiation are not upheld, that would have to lead to some sort of consequence, and more often than not, the consequence is increased conflict or war.
Okay, so how would you um, develop this in terms of if you were to try and persuade me to believe in God? I mean, how would you uh, use this this um, this framework? Right. So then I so then I think that you know if we go back to the unifying principle that there is no God but Allah, then you know we end up taking a degree of care when it comes to dealing with that sort of conflict because we immediately accept that we cannot be the strongest force in the world many times when you know true groups come together and they want to assert their dominance over the other you know kind of like take over like you know um, invade the world so to speak you immediately become humbled with the idea that there is something that is greater or beyond you. And that's where, I guess, again, we go back to the pragmatics of it. That idea becomes that much more useful because now you can prevent, you know, mass genocide and, you know, mass kind of like violence against another group because you're already accepting that you can't become the greatest thing there is because there is God that is greater than you. God has more power than you. Um, in fact, you know, like Muslims, like they have this idea that when they get angry, you're supposed to proclaim that, you know, um, there is no strength that is powerful than Allah. Uh, the Arabic is like, like that there is no strength or power greater than Allah. And that's supposed to kind of calm you down because you're automatically reminded that you are not. But it, that didn't work, did it, during uh, the Reformation period in, in Europe, when both sides believed there was a power more, more powerful than, than them. They both believed in God, that he was an absolute God who mm. was going to, uh, to judge them. And yet they inflicted, the Protestants inflicted terrible cruelties on the Catholics, and the Catholics inflicted terrible cruelties on the Protestants. I, I don't know the, the specific history of it, but but I would criticize or be critical of, you know, to what extent did they really believe in that God? Because if you do believe in, you know, a force or, or, or being that is greater than you, then, you know, there's also kind of limits to that because you, then you kind of recognize your own humility in that. So I guess if you're unable to recognize your own humility and you're kind of like driven by your own ego to conquer and to invade and to become bigger, um, you know, it really just matters about what your objective is. I was watching Gladiator the other day and they were talking about, you know, um, I don't know if you've seen that movie or not. I haven't, no. No, okay. I'm too busy watching Dumbo. <laughs> yeah, so this is my this is my childhood. I watched Gladiator. Yeah. Um, so, so, so in in Gladiator, you know, they they talk about this idea of doing it for Rome. You know, like we're doing this battle or we're doing this thing that doesn't quite make sense to us, but we're doing it for Rome. And I think that that's where the second part of you know there is no God but Allah, you know, the Muhammad or Rasulullah comes in or becomes that much more important because then you go to the idea of, well, so we know that we have this unifying principle. We know that there is a God. 
but now, you know, kind of like the, the little things or the smaller things or the day-to-day things that we kind of, you know, are a bit more hum- human things. Well, then we have to have a model for that. And, you know, Muslims, or certainly myself, uh, believe that the Holy Prophet is that model for, you know, to, to how to be, you know, to how to check yourself, check your ego, you know, kind of ensure that, you know, are, are, you're not being, you know, super, like, you know, to send to, to what extent are you going about, you know, testing the limits of your potential, so to speak? Mm. Well, I'd like to go back to a, um, a couple of sentences. Um, we know Sorry, they. I said we, a lot. <laughs> uh, no, 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 no. So uh, it's absolutely fine. Um, I, I just, you know, there are a couple of things that y- you said that I, I kind of sprang out at me, and mm-hmm. you said. We know we have this uh, unifying model. Yes, I can. I can see that you could know that. And then you said, "We know that we have this God," mm-hmm. and I don't know how you got there. That that seemed to me to be quite a leap. Where Where did you get? How did How did you get? Because if you know something, it's true. Uh-huh. Knowledge is justified true belief. Right. So, how did you come? You know, where Where does that knowledge come from? Where does the knowledge come from that God is real? That God exists, yes, that God, God is exists. real. Yeah. Yeah. So so to me, you know, knowledge is one part of it. But to me, though, it's more about um, there is a reality to it. So to, to me, I differ between knowledge of something and the reality of something. So I, I, I in, in kind of my view of knowledge, I've already accepted the, the premise that there is something that is greater than me. So anytime that there's something that's greater than me, then I, I, I call that God. Okay. Um, does, does that make sense? Because I, 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 I want to be clear because I think you've, you've asked a very important and fundamental question to kind of our conversation. Every time you acknowledge there's something greater than you, you call it God. Um, yeah. I mean, would would it have to be personal mm, depends d- d- depends on depends on what we're talking about um so so to, so to me like like for me you know like i i see it like this like i am you know like i i, I exist i kind of go about my day to day you know I wake up you know do the same thing that everybody does when they wake up i drink coffee um and then you know can I go to work or do that? But in that entire process, I do believe that there is a force, a power, a being that is superior to kind of everything that's going on all around me. That there is this third dimension, so to speak, that exists outside of the X and Y that I can see. Hmm. And I call that God. And when you said, and kind of my, mean, how, evidence, my, and my evidence for that is, yeah. is, is, is a lot of personal experience. It's the experience of other people. Um, you know, it's the, you know, it's, it's certain kind of like ideas of it. Um, I guess to some extent we've talked about my um, belief in kind of like the utility of an idea superseding a lot of other things. Um so all those things mesh together to give me enough evidence that there is a God. 
Hmm. I mean, I and one thing experiences is, with this god as well. Right. Sure. Uh, I mean, I think obviously the uh, I trying to remember what Hume said that um, all personal experiences are by definition subjective, and um, so uh, your personal experience may be a reason for you to believe in God, but it can't be a reason for me to believe in God because I can't access your personal experience. Right, but you can access the structure that I utilize to achieve my personal experience. You can use, so to speak, my apparatus. So I, I often use something very simple and it might, it might be silly. Please do let me know if this is silly because then I can stop using it. But you know, I, I say that if I want to know what the temperature is, I will take out my thermometer, I will look mm -hmm. at it. If you want to know what the temperature is and you have no kind of way to access a thermometer, I can say to you, hey, look, if you take this thermometer, this will tell you what the temperature is. And then, you know, you take it. And then for most of us, you know, how we kind of live our life is that we just take that to face value. We don't necessarily question it so much or um, question it so much or kind of like, you know, get more into like the nitpicky of it. We just kind of accept it. Mm. And what in what in this analogy is the thermometer? Right. So, so this is kind of the the framework, um, the framework of prayer, the framework of you know just the idea of you know kind of accepting something that is greater than you. All those things kind of come in. Um, which we can probably dive into more detail about, but that's that's where it comes in. You know, it, it's the um, viewing reality in a certain way, viewing knowledge in a certain way, can allow you to have the same experiences that I have. Hmm. You know, but so th th there is a degree of commitment as well, right? Because, like to me, um, I often draw the analogy between. Um, physical health, uh, you know, mental health and, and spiritual health. So to me, like we can like, you know, we talk about physical health because that seems to be like the most kind of in thing, you know, you mm. can tell me, well, you know, you, you can, you can, you can look at me and you can be like, Oh, like you're, you look like you're a good physical health. What is it that you do? And then I can tell you, you know, well, like, I'm just going to use something really mundane, like, oh, well, I'm on a ketogenic diet and I, um, you know, I do strength training three times a week. And you can say, well, okay, so I can either choose to try to follow it or I can say, yeah, that, that doesn't make sense to me or that doesn't work for me. And then you try to like, kind of like move on. Um, mm. But really to me, like I draw the analogy to that. And to me, the analogy is quite strong because you then have to commit to, if you want what I have, you have to commit to working as hard as perhaps I have as well, because that's the only way that you'd be able to experience or have what I have. So, you know, you would have to go on a ketogenic diet and perhaps it'd be for like mm. you know, a couple of years. You'd have to do the strength training. That would also be a couple of years, but there's no kind of quick fix. Now, if I go back to kind of like the earlier thing that we were talking about at the beginning of our podcast, that 
if our survival as a species um, existed because we all had to be a certain body type or we all had to reach a certain degree of physical health, then this is where kind of it kind of comes full circle for me in, in my head at least. Hmm. I mean, I, I suppose I don't have something bigger than me. I don't know that I have, that I would reject that in a kind of general sense, mm -hmm. but the thing that would be bigger than me would probably be the human race. I, mm -hmm. I wouldn't, um, uh, you know, I, I mean, it sounds to me as if you're saying, well, if you start by accepting that God exists, then you can do all these other things and then you'll have experiences that will convince you that God exists. And I'm not, I can't choose my beliefs. I cannot choose to believe that God exists. Yeah. I can I can be convinced by evidence of to believe various things, you know, some of which I might not want to believe. For instance, I might not want to believe in the heat death of the universe. But yeah. when I'm confronted by all sorts of clever scientists who will say, yeah, you know, heat death of the universe is coming. Mm -hmm. You know, obviously yeah. not in my not in my lifetime, or but you know, it's still. I think it's still. Yeah. You know, it's something that actually quite often gets raised with atheists, and I will agree, it's quite yeah. a bleak thought that we are just yeah. here for this blip of time, and we are all heading in the same direction towards the ultimate. Um, what is it called? Uh, everything goes towards. Um, it's what's that uh, scientific principle? Everything goes towards falling apart, to mm -hmm. towards uh, um, breaking down, and right. part of that will be the heat death of the universe. It's, it's right. quite a bleak thought. I won't, I won't deny that's quite a bleak thought, but right. that's what that's what I believe, and it's yeah. not because I choose to believe it. It's uh -huh. because I can't reject the evidence. So, so I think it becomes really tricky then to to navigate kind of material evidence and, you know, immaterial evidence. Because to me, scientific inquiry comes out of, um, you know, you, you can conduct an experiment of some sort, you know, there's qualitative and quantitative data. But I do think that like um, things such as that we are talking about or that we are concerned about, those things emerge out of stories. Um, you know, a, a lot of things as to like, you know, how you conduct your life or how you are or kind of your perception of reality, that comes from stories. So, you know, if there is a, a good story or a compelling story, there's probably, not saying this is particularly true for you, but particularly true for me that, you know, I really like a good story because a good story allows me to put myself in the character's situation. Mm. And then once I navigate, once I see that, and then I start saying, okay, well, that's how they would navigate that. And then that allows me to, to exist or kind of formulate my beliefs. So I think there is a degree that we formulate our beliefs based off of stories. I just so happen to choose my stories to be, you know, the stories, you know, that exist within religious scripture, because I think that the story consistently emerges between, you know, I say that it's, it's really, it's like the seen versus the unseen. There, there's often, you know, in 
Quranic stories, there's ideas of, well, a group of people that only believe in what they see, and then a group of people that also believe in the unseen, and what happens to them. And often, you know, the, the, well, not often, always, you know, the, the, the side that chooses to believe in things that they don't see or that, you know, they kind of follow the pragmatic approach always more or less seem to win. And then this kind of exists in, in kind of the fictional world, too, that I'm at least exposed to, is that the side that wins always is the one that, you know, carries you know, the pragmatic approach, kind of, you know, the things that we've talked about today. So then that makes me think, okay, well, if in stories this is kind of the truth, and then I, I should accept that truth as well for myself. I mean, this, you know, this is um, something that uh, probably won't surprise you, is what a lot of Christians will say. I mean, a lot of Christians will argue, well, I've, I've seen the power of Jesus with, with my own eyes. I've seen people who've been drug addicts, who've, who've accepted Jesus as their saviour, and their lives have been completely turned around. Right. And I've they say there are people who've, who've done that and perhaps, you know, having a belief in Jesus enabled them to do it. But I don't think it means that it's true that Jesus was their Lord and Saviour. And if I were somewhat to get on my atheist um, hobby horse uh, of uh, sort of saying what I said I wouldn't say, which is, you know, that, that sometimes religious belief can be harmful, that mm -hmm if it's better to base any change of life on a true belief than on a false belief because if the rug gets pulled out of your false belief then what are you what are you going to do you know you you may go back to that old life so um i i, I suppose what i'd say is that i'm not really what you're saying as what what you know your personal experience of what you've seen can't be it, it's i mean tell me if you think this is wrong but it seems to me that can't be absolutely right and at the same time all the Christ, things christians have said to me about what they've seen about you know the work of jesus in people's lives they can't they can't both be right i mean if you know People confessing Jesus as their Lord and Saviour who died and, you know, they're cleansed in his blood. If that's right, then you must be wrong. And yet you are both, both of you are telling me, well, we have every reason to believe this. We've seen the effect it can have. Uh -huh. Right. So I, I think that, you know, everyone can be right, you know, just the same way that multiple diets can you know lead to kind of the same results like you know you don't have to do a ketogenic diet um you yeah. know to to get you know the results that you'd want on your body but eventually we do come to a point where you know what's the thing that's sustainable what's the thing that lasts the longest so definitely you can achieve success in different ways but there is one thing that kind of works more for more people or it, there is something that you know kind of lasts longer uh, just in kind of the strength of its belief or the strength of you know kind of its premise all of those things i think then kind of inform or kind of become a basis of evidence 
to be, okay, this is the side or this is the thing that I want to pick to strengthen this objective of mine. But I think, you know, before we do that, and I think that, you know, perhaps we won't get into this in our conversation because we've been, we've been speaking for more than an hour, like about an hour and a half now, is that how do you know which side to pick? Or before that, there has to be this understanding of should I pick a side? There has to, like a need has to come first before you can, you can, you can motivate yourself to try something new. So if the need isn't there, well then, you know, you're not really, this kind of just becomes um, a speaking exercise more or less. Mm. Right? Like um, in, in the physical health example, like you, you have to kind of be uncomfortable with being overweight or you have to see like yeah. your overweightness as a problem for you to kind of seek out a, a way or a, or a mean. So sure. if you don't have the need, then there's no kind of motivation to, to get something started. No. So, I mean, if as an atheist, I don't feel a need to right. change that, then, right. I mean, you're really saying that um, we're not going to make any progress, that you, I would have to come to you with a with a need and sort of say, oh, my life is, is empty or, you know, I'm not feeling purpose in my life. I I see you and you've got all this purpose in your life and I would really like to have be the same. I mean, well, just something similar to that, not to yeah. that same, not to that, not to that perhaps same extent, because I think people can reach multiple conclusions as to why they need something. Because to me, the need is like is derived from our survival as as a species. You know, to me, the, like that's the need for me. Like I believe, very strongly believe, that for us to transcend a lot of the problems that we have currently in our world, the only way to do that is to unite on common principles. So if that doesn't speak to kind of, not saying you, but to an individual, then, then you know, I'm not so much interested in having them a part of my group anyways, because mm. it's like, hey, look, like you, you actually just don't really care uh, enough to kind of engage in the, um, the conversation. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I hope that I've provided something in the conversation to. No, you have. I really enjoyed uh, this conversation because yeah. I think that what this allows, I can speak to two to, to things, you know, what it allows me personally is, you know, to have an avenue where these ideas can be challenged, probed, questioned. And I think that that is perhaps the most important thing for my development and growth, but also the development or growth of, of our listeners too. Like they should be able to hear both sides and then, you know, kind of say, okay, well, what makes more sense to me? This makes more sense to me. Let me kind of like go this route. Because I think- mm -hmm to kind of our earlier scenario of those 10 people that are staying there, you know, you're saying, well, there has to be people that challenge you. Um, I think this is that challenge. You know, this is that, you know, you are the person that's challenging or, you know, kind of like talking to me about this idea that, well, you know, what about this? What about that? What about this? Because that only allows, that only strengthens my kind of thought process and that probably strengthens your thought process as well. Yeah, sure. Yeah. 
Yes, no, it's, I, I agree that um, uh, we develop our ideas by allowing them to be challenged. Of course. Yeah. So I, I guess I, I'm really grateful, a huge sense of gratitude for you um, to take the time out and talk to me about these ideas, which, you know, are very difficult, challenging, complex ideas. Um, I'm sure we've scratched only the surface of a lot of these ideas. Um, so I guess, yeah, you know, I so. it, 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 is, is there a way that, you know, if somebody wants to kind of reach out, reach out to you or the doubts allowed podcast, um, is there a way that they can do that? Um, yes, they can, um, they can email us. I'm sorry. I don't have my, my, um, uh, email address up now, but if you have show notes, perhaps I can mm. send it to you and you can put it yeah on your your show notes yeah we, uh, we we're that. always we, we keen so to get because we don't know how to really like go about doing that on apple Podcasts, but we'll, 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 we'll try our best and try to figure that out okay okay well if people um want want to get in contact with us they can google doubts aloud aloud mm -hmm. is spelt like um speaking out loud you know a-l-o-u-d doubts aloud it's it's a joke sort of yeah. <laughs> um uh, and uh, yeah, we're we're always very happy to get feedback on on our podcast. And um, I want to thank you for your kindness and hospitality in having me on your podcast and allowing me That's to speak. Yeah, thank you. So uh, I guess you know if you want to reach out to us, then you know our email is thekonvictionproject at gmail .com, um, or you know you can visit our website at www.thekonvictionproject.com for all of our other podcast episodes. This is the Conviction Project, where we leave you with no doubts about Islam. Muhammad, Muhammad, Muhammadur Rasulullah, 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 Muhammadur Rasulullah. Salli ala nabiyyina, Salli ala Muhammadin, Salli ala Habib. 